0: This chapter contains a uh, very, very familiar verse, a very famous verse, especially if you have grown up uh, with any, any, any type of emphasis on the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit that's highlighted in your Christian life. This has the most, one of the most famous verses. I'm going to give the second one at the end of the message because it's just helpful. This is a, a passage about God's Spirit. Indwelling us, empowering us, and shining through us. So, so Jesus is known. The word of the Lord says in verse 1 of chapter 4, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand of all gold. With a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Spirit, we ask for your illumination as we dig into your word. May Jesus you be exalted and reign preeminent. Amen. There is a, a common experience for teachers when in preparing for their classes and the administration looking to be cutting edge always wants to promote new ways of engaging with, with students to make learning not just uh, auditory but hands on. Teachers will think of, of great ways. Now teachers have planning periods and those are very crucial that are important. And during those planning periods, teachers will come up with a great way to accomplish just what the administration's asking for. This is going to work because I've got this idea that's going to go with what we need to teach. This is going to be great. Only to show up and, and time to implement it in class, the result is very underwhelming. Whether it didn't take long enough or the students just weren't interested. And teachers are left with this. I thought that was a really great idea. And that didn't work at all. Now what am I going to do? Because I've got a lesson to teach. And that didn't work. You know, in this passage, we're introduced to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a legitimate heir to the throne of Israel because he was a descendant of David. But he wasn't allowed to be king because of the Persian occupation of the land that was once marked as Israel and Judah. But Zerubbabel is facing the daunting task of rebuilding one of the ancient wonders of the world. That's a serious and pretty sizable task, amid nearly constant opposition and suspicion from everybody around, both both from the Jews and from non-Jews. The excitement that occurred when the altar was restored had long faded over 20 years He's responded to Haggai's word to rebuild, and it's like he's shown up to move with a bunch of fifth graders. It was underwhelming. He's, all this excitement and shout ended up being, are we ever going to get this done? This is kind of underwhelming. He was facing an overwhelming task with underwhelming support. This chapter has vast implications for our lives today because of how we face an overwhelming mission with God. Here's here's our overwhelming mission. Teach and baptize. It's our commission every Sunday. Teach and baptize. Teach what you have learned. So there's a, a mission for obedience. And there's a mission to go capture the lost, that God's using us to capture the lost. Church, That's an impossible mission in our own strength. That's an overwhelming mission, and too often we are experiencing underwhelming things in our lives. So we have the promise that our marriages should be experiencing fruitfulness, but our marriages often feel underwhelming. Our friendships feel underwhelming. Our parenting effectiveness is underwhelming. Our work, our finances underwhelming. Our devotion to the Lord even underwhelming when we know there should be more. The word to Zerubbabel in this chapter is a word to us. The famous verse in this chapter, verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, is within a context that speaks across generations, across the ages. So here's the main point that Senior notes the vision Zechariah received of Zerubbabel was to remind him that manpower will not accomplish God's mission. That's our word, too. It's a word to us. Our own self-sufficiencies, our own self-reliances will not accomplish the fruitfulness that God wants from our lives. The mission or the vision and explanation shows us that God's mission is only accomplished by God's power. So we can look at this in the three sections with the three paragraphs that are there. And first, in verses 1 through 7, we see God's spirit empowers for God's work. Zechariah is described, he described that the angel came and woke him up as if he was in a dream. He wasn't sleeping. Perhaps he was contemplating the previous vision he had just received. Remember, he gets eight visions in one night. He was lost in thought, perhaps, so much that the angel came to him and shook him and shouted to get his attention back. Now, we can, we can think that it was easy for him to contemplate these things because as he's thinking of Joshua's Uh, filthy clothes being removed and pure vestments being put on him, that was a far-off, impossible, amazing task to think about. See, we have the perspective of looking back and say, oh, it was Jesus that did that. Zechariah didn't have that in the moment, so he's trying to figure out what on earth does this vision mean? And he's contemplating that. The angel says, there's more. There's more we got to think about. Come on, come back, come back. And the angel waking him up is a reminder that oftentimes God will use situations and circumstances and even visions and dreams to awaken us to his divine intentions in and around us. Our culture has used a word uh, to the past couple of years to highlight when somebody has, has become awakened to progressive moments and currents, movements that are moving swiftly around us, and it's the word woke. And I have, hesitate to even use it as an analogy because I can't stand hearing that word, but it's, it's a weird use of words. And I just, I was reading an article uh, online the other day that, used, that was written this week, and it used the word woke. People are woke to this. Now, there, there are some helpful ways that in our culture it's helpful and necessary to be woke. And I think it's, the helpful part is becoming around Uh, sexual abuse, when people are saying, let's get woke, uh, when it comes to sexual abuse. That's very necessary and helpful, but others are fitting it into an agenda that is rebellious toward God, and that's in the category of sexual freedom. That is, it's my body, nobody can tell me to do with my body, leave me alone. That's rebellious toward God. God created you. God gets to say what happens with your body. No matter if you're a believer or unbeliever, God is the one, he's the creator. So it's used in two ways. And listen, uh, discern culture. Culture is not really so, culture is woke to their personal ambitions and desires. That's what culture is woke to. Because while they call for respect for women on the other end of the entertainment venue, it still promotes the disrespect of women. And so you can't have both. The Christian though, we are to be awakened. We are to be alert and paying attention to what God's doing around us. We should not be taking clues from the culture on what matters uh, to creation as well as to God. We, we need to understand what God says and then live in light of that. So are we awake to the mission and work of God in our lives? The call for us to discern the culture but shine within the culture with the light of Christ because our culture is, they're fallen and they live in darkness. To be apart from Christ is to live in darkness. You can't see anything. You can't grope around. We can't uh, claim to have a higher intellect or or awakenness within darkness because we're not, all we're doing is trying to feel around. The Apostle Paul reminds the Ephesians, walk as children of light for the fruit of of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So there, there's sense God coming to us, awakening something in us. Are we, are we awakened to His purpose in our lives? How are we walking out His mission? Are we doing it? We're going to see by our own power or by the Spirit's power. And God communicates this to Zechariah, for Zerubbabel with the vision of this golden lampstand. Now again, the vision is that Zechariah sees is ordinary things combined together to make something out of the ordinary. That's how God works. Ordinary things used to accomplish the extraordinary, underwhelming people to accomplish an overwhelming mission. There are a few renderings as you read through this. I've read, I don't know how many times this week, I read through this trying to just picture in my mind, I am not artistic, so that's why it takes me a long time to try to figure out what on earth is being described here. And I did it many times. And you actually, and through the commentaries I was reading and stuff, you could, you could put this together several different ways. But the, the, uh, the items that are listed are the mo- most important things to pay attention to. The lampstand here is the word menorah in the Hebrew. And we see that. Uh, that's the candle, the, the lampstand where you have the middle uh, piece and then from either side extend three. So you have a total of seven. Uh, branches coming up. This is what Zechariah is seeing. It reminds of the, the lampstand that was in the tabernacle. It reminds also of the lampstands, plural. There were 10 of them in the temple when Solomon built it. God had a golden lampstand that was shaped like a tree in the, most, in the holy place before the holy of holies. Now, think about it. There's a tree in the Holy of Holies. And I think it points to the tree of life. It harkens back to the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. Now, it was the reminder that the path back to the tree of life was through the light that was provided, and that light points to Christ, His person and His work. Jesus said that, John eight twelve Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's through Jesus that we find that life from the tree of life until we are with him in heaven where we get to eat of the tree of life when it produces all of its fruit, each a different fruit per month. The next, next item that's described is the bowl that is, is filling with oil and supplying that to the lampstand. This would have been different from the lampstands uh, of, of the tabernacle and temple because the the menorahs didn't have a bowl associated with it. One of the responsibilities of the priest who tended the elements of the holy place was to keep the oil trimmed in the lamps, the lampstand, so it would always burn day and night. If you see that in Leviticus 24, where the, the, the priest's responsibility is to keep filling the lamp with oil. And standing from the bowl are seven lamps which supply seven, seven lips, seven spouts from around that wicks could burn from. So think about this. The lamp that's being described that's on top, you got a branch coming out, you have a lamp sitting on top of that. Think a genie lamp. That's what it was. It was a clay pot that had a little spout, and that's had the little top. You took the top off, put the oil in, and the wick was in the spout. Think about having not just one spout, but seven spouts all around. So it's sitting there on top of a a, a pipe that's connected to the bowl, supplying the oil, and you have lights all the way around. So you have 49 flames and 360 degrees. Now this could have where the menorah was kind of 2D, it was slender. You looked at it from the side, all of the branches were in line, but when you turned it, you saw the fullness. This could have been more like a candelabra, where it just comes off in every direction. The change in the vision is that the boy, the boy, the bowl, supplies the oil. We learn later that the olive trees that are on either side of the the bowl, they are supplying the oil directly to the bowl. You see that in verse 12. Now, the difference with the bowl supplying the oil is that manpower is not needed to bring the oil to this lampstand. God is saying he will supply the oil himself. There is a continuous supply of oil with lights, never going out because God supplies the oil for the light. We understand from Scripture that when we see this oil, it coincides, it represents the Holy Spirit, and this is what Zerubbabel will find out as well. He finds out that the Spirit is the power that he needs. The angel is surprised that Zechariah doesn't understand the vision already. God's priest should have known what all of these things meant. This is why uh, when Jesus was questioning Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is confused. How can this be? Can a man enter his mother's womb again to be born again? And Jesus says, are you not a teacher of Israel that you don't understand? There's an expectation that those who knew the law and knew the Old Testament should have understood this if they were looking for Jesus correctly. The wonderful thing is that Zechariah is not rebuked for his ignorance. He receives mercy and an explanation. And God's just as merciful to us every single day. When we don't understand something, we can ask him without fear of being reminded of how dumb we are. This gives us confidence to inquire of God, and he'll make it plain for us. The vision is a word to Zerubbabel. So what Zechariah sees is translated into a word. God's spirit is the power to accomplish his mission. This is most certainly a welcome word for the governor. We know from Ezra 5 that there was strong, a strong move to oppose the work Zerubbabel was leading. In Ezra chapter 5, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Yeshua, the son of Jazadok, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were there supporting them. At the same time, Tatenai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozenai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, "'Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure?' Tatanai actually uh, sent a letter. He questions them, but then sends a letter to Darius, the king of Persia, asking, hey, this is wrong. These people are just try- making a way to rebel. You need to stop them. Now, this, it seems, uh, you know, we would read this as a, a cease and desist letter that courts can, uh, uh, cease and desist, just stop everything. That's not exactly how this was portrayed. When, when they got a question Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? This came with a threat of a looming attack. If you keep on building, we can rise up in the name of the king of Persia and destroy you. This is not a cease and desist letter. This is, we will attack you if Nehemiah finds the same thing. So they have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, and they're rebuilding the wall together. This is a mess of a situation, and it's in this mess that the word came to Zerubbabel to comfort him. The word was to direct him to look to God rather than natural might or natural power. The might here, not by might, would have equated to numbers. Maybe uh, Zerubbabel thought, if if I just had more people, then it would be helpful. I could just get the work done in a, a, a faster amount of time. And the power reference is to strength. If I just had stronger men around me, if I had stronger people mentally, physically, however it would be. The work would be accomplished. And that's a temptation all of us face. Because how often are we tempted to look to numbers and strength to get through tough situations? Here's how we do that. We look for numbers because we will gather people to be on our side when we think we're wronged i need i need strength and comfort so i need people around me so i'm going to gossip i'm going to share a prayer request i'm going to do something to let you know i need you on my side against this person we also trust in our own self-sufficiency to bear down and just get through a circumstance these are wrong and they're sinful because they're faithless we're we're putting the faith in the wrong place we're putting it in ourselves rather than in god we will when we do this enough and this becomes our pattern, we will, we will grow in pride because our self-sufficiencies, we think they, they become adequate, so it makes it easier to trust in ourselves the next time we go through a rough patch, tough patch in life. When we do this, understand we're not sowing into kingdom treasure, we're coping with meager temporal rashings. It's just we've got nothing to work with, but yet we think, you know, I'm doing okay. We end up groping for control rather than surrendering in faith. That's why we need this word again and again. And God is clear. His Spirit empowers to accomplish His work, not by might, nor by power. So we put the my, not by my might, nor by my power, but by God's Spirit, says the Lord. The Spirit is the oil to the light of our mission, to light our mission and be the light in our mission. He will accomplish his work supernaturally because the the promise is the mountains, oh, great mountain, it's going to be leveled, it'll be plain. God's Spirit will bring about a work that first looked impossible and then brings forth praise, grace, grace to it. The top stone was a, a promise the work would be completed under the leadership of Zerubbabel. They didn't have to wait to some future generation to see the fruit of their work. God would supply the completion of the work. Now, in our lives, we shouldn't have to think hard to recall the times when God has given us this precious, precious reminder of his Spirit's power. God is great in his capturing of our attention to loosen our grip on our lives. and and loosen our grip on the lives of others around us, because we want to manipulate them with our might and power. When we surrendered, God has brought about things that looked impossible when we started out. And we should shout praises to His Spirit's work in us. See, The good we seek and the work He's called us to will not produce any fruit by our might and our power. We can't force fruitfulness in our lives, and we can't force evangelism. It's all by his spirit, and he calls us to cooperate with him and and to to cooperate with open hands, saying, "I'm I'm not clutching on anything. I'm trusting you, God. So hear him tell you again today, dear believer, hear God tell you this. It's not by might nor by power. Spirit. That's the Lord, and it's the remember, it's the Lord of hosts, the full range and might and force, a military force accomplishing His will. So, what mountain are you staring at this morning? What's keeping you up at night, and what's stealing your appetite during the day? What mountain are you staring at? you get to say to that mountain, if the spirit, if you're a genuine believer and the spirit lives inside of you, you get to say to that mountain, I understand you will not move by my might or by, by my power, but you will move according to the power of the spirit of the living God that's in me. And when we get to do that, we can say, oh, and be cast into the depths of the sea. I'm going to get my sleep back, get my appetite back, and we trust in God's presence, In his spirit in us. Then moves on in this passage that God's spirit empowers even our small steps. Verses 8 through the first part of verse 10. Zerubbabel indeed finished the work. When Darius inquired about what Cyrus decreed, he added his stamp of approval as well as protection for it. Darius said, "Um, I looked, they are allowed to rebuild, and if anybody stops them, you're going to take a two by four out of their house and impale them with it. Not only did he give blessing, he gave protection for it. God, that's not something God's people were praying for. But God was doing the impossible when they're facing a looming attack. Their call is to trust him. And what did they do? They trust him, and he does something even more. Beyond anything we can think, imagine. God does it. He levels the impossible to make way for his glory. But recognize, Darius didn't give Zerubbabel more men... Or stronger men. Zerubbabel had to work with what God had already supplied him with. Many great works of God started with something small. I was going to say every, but I I just didn't have the, the mental time to think through every. So many, many great works of God, nearly every, start with something small. And underwhelmingly small things like babies. Abraham, I'm going to give you all of this land. Are you? Yes, and I'm going to prove it to you by giving you a baby. Impossible. He saw that is impossible. That's impossible. I've got. I can't have kids anymore. Too old. Time has passed. My wife. Time has passed. Then later on, an impossible thing of a mom looking at a child, a baby, saying, "This isn't an ordinary baby. Uh, we got to. We got to save this one. Let's make a little basket and float it down the Nile. So." the pharaoh's daughter can find him that's odd moses' mom knew exactly what she was doing cuz she sent her daughter remember to go follow and then say oh you need a hebrew nurse got one over here not going to tell you it's the baby's mama but that's who it is a strong woman able to say no let's keep this baby let's go send her to the enemy Let's send this baby to the enemy. But that was the baby that grew up, that led Israel, that God used to lead Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And then a baby, 2,000 years ago, is born in a stable. The birth of Christ that we celebrate this season it should be amazing for how underwhelming it is. Vaughn prayed those very same things upstairs. He didn't even know I was going to say that. It's just cool how the Lord confirms that. You know, we tend to want to fuss and be irritated with all the people that didn't welcome Mary in. Teenage girl, like 16 or 17 years old. Can you just let her come in? She's pregnant. She's in labor. Can you just let her have her baby in a house? But that's not the way God wanted it. God said, no, in the stable, in the stinky stable with all of the animals around, that's underwhelming. And this is the king of the universe. Underwhelming. Not only is the birth of Jesus underwhelming, the ministry of Jesus was underwhelming. He didn't venture far. The death of Jesus was incredibly underwhelming, so much so the disciples were at a loss, like, did we just waste all this time? They went back to their old occupations. Peter went fishing again. Yes we'll go fishing. They didn't think anything was, it was so underwhelming. And, and there are, there are uh, secular accounts, there are non-Jewish or Christian accounts of the death of Christ. They're few, and they're usually derogatory in nature. It was underwhelming. Everybody looked at that and said, that was it. God works in ways that start with very small steps. He calls us to small steps that are empowered by His Holy Spirit. Our immediate desires, this is, this, we are a uh, uh, fickle and confusing people because our immediate desires I want something now combined with our laziness makes for a weird combination when we try to obey God because here's what I really can't understand. Why people will went to Chick fil A the other day to order the food for men's training yesterday and the the, the drive through line was a coil. It was like double circle, this building. How don't you park like I did? I walked inside, nobody was there. I walked right I I didn't even go through the turnstile, so I was like, Am I breaking the rules? I love breaking the rules anyway. I'm like, I'm going right here. Nobody was inside, but somebody will sit for 20 minutes in a drive-thru line for fast food. Or, I'm hungry, let me get one of these apps where people will deliver my food. So I want fast food, but I'm too lazy to go get it. I want it quickly, but I'll wait the 20 minutes for somebody else to do it. Now, what does this show about us? And this is how it, it, it shows up in our relationship with God, because we want giant steps real quick but we're too lazy to do the little steps to get to the giant steps. We want real, God, do something huge. We pray, we expect God to show up, done, yes. But that's not the reality of the Christian life. Think about it. The Christian life is is not bridging together a bunch of giant steps. It's an accumulation of faithful and consistent small steps. When we've spoken to the mountain that we're staring at, to be thrown into the sea, and Jesus gives us assurance that it will happen, we need to obey. That's the next part. Obey with the small steps in our lives. Kingdom advancement happens in the seeds. In the seeds that are sown that you have to wait for, for water and nourishing and sunlight. You have to wait for those to produce fruit. Two examples, to To bring to our attention, Matthew 17, Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, when they previously were asking about not being able to cast out a a demon, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Faith like a seed. And then in Mark 4, Jesus connects the seed to the kingdom of God. And he said, what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and become larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. God uses seeds. He uses seeds. So that looks like coming New Year, if your desire is to read the Bible more, it looks like this. Read the Bible more every day. Read it in small chunks. A goofy analogy. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. God, we, we have to be able to have, if, we, if we're looking for change in our marriage, we need to be able to create Some mechanism of consistency that says, I'm not going to look for, you know, I tease with my kids all the time because they think two weeks is a long time still. It's like, I mean, it's been like two weeks. And our response is, that's it? Just two weeks? No, you need some more consistency in that. Talking to a guy one time, man, I've been praying for three months for this to change and it hasn't changed. Three months? Come to me after three years. Or And then I, and I can introduce you to some people who have been praying for 30 years for the same thing. This is what God calls us to, small steps and the accumulation of all these small steps. So we, we look at this and say, if we want change to uh, take place in our marriages, in our parenting, in our devotion with the Lord, we've got to figure out some small steps to take and be consistent and faithful with those small steps, and I I I know it from my own personal experience, and we know it from the promise of Scripture. God will show up, and things will change because of the faithfulness to say, I'm going to put the seed in the ground, God. The mustard seed is so tiny. It looks like a little speck of dirt in your fingernail when you put it in your fingernail. It is so tiny, yet has vast implications when it grows up. That's what God's looking to do in every one of our lives. Not because we have enough people agreeing with us. Not because we have enough strength, spiritual strength or natural strength. It's because God's spirit lives inside of us. And that's when he says, all right, now there's a mission you're on. And that's a mission of witness. So God empowers your witness from the second half of verse 10 through the end of the chapter. And we have the seven eyes, seven facets. The angel summed up the word to Zerubbabel for Zechariah by explaining the mission of God revealed in the lampstand. The seven eyes could refer uh, to the stone, remember, that was placed uh, on Joshua's turban in front of him. It also could refer to the the top stone, the last stone that was placed on the temple that the promise of rubble would do. But in either scenario, the seven eyes represent the omniscience. These are the eyes of God. These uh, reveal the omniscience, the all-knowingness of God, and the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere all at the same time. He's all over the world revealing himself, and he reveals himself through light. Remember the first words that he said? Genesis 1-3, let there be light. God uses light to reveal himself, and he takes that light, and he puts it inside of us, and he says, now go shine so people can see him. Light with understanding and light with with uh, shining to to show forth a direction. The light is Christ in his people through the presence of his Spirit. Therefore, the light, church, the light is in us. We are used by God, and, and we can say even the light is us now because of Christ in us. We are used by God to further the light through our witness, and that's where the two anointed ones come. These two anointed ones where where Zechariah asked twice, what are the olive trees? Those those are my two anointed ones that stand before the Lord of the whole earth. Now, the angel is expecting Zechariah to, to know these again, but again, he answers graciously. We're told, he's told that these were the anointed ones. Literally, it was sons of oil or oily ones. And Zechariah would have understood what that meant because... Uh, And within the context of this, the two trees probably represent, one represents Joshua the high priest, the other represents Zerubbabel as the, the, the heir, the rightful heir, the king, the heir to the throne. Both the high priest and the king throughout the history of those were anointed with oil as a consecration and a commission. Here, you have been set apart by God, your oily ones. God has chosen you to do the work of the high priest of going in once a year on the day of atonement and the king to reign over his people in wisdom and compassion. Those, But we see those, where do they stand? The position is they stand before the Lord. Now check that out. Look at the spelling of Lord. It's not all caps. When you see Lord in all caps, that means El Shaddai, God Almighty. This is Lord Adonai which I believe is a direct reference to Jesus. So this high priest position, this king position, stand by Jesus of the whole earth. It's pointing to Jesus' priestly role and his kingship over our lives. So when we repent of our sins and we trust Christ for salvation and God's spirit comes inside of us, church, we are the sons of oil. We are heirs with him. We are those oily ones. We are set apart. We are consecrated for the mission of Jesus' light to shine everywhere we go. That's the 360 degree of all of those flames sitting on top that are connected to that bowl for the oil. All of it is supplied by God because he has a great mission for us to participate with. And that mission shows up in the small steps of our lives. We also know the, the two connect the, these two witnesses to witness, because Revelation 11, 4, does the same thing, where just, the two witnesses are described. It describes the work of the church in spreading the gospel, two witnesses corresponding to how many, uh, how many people are needed to establish the truth about a situation, on the evidence of two or, or more witnesses, at least two witnesses. Israel... Zerubbabel gets the promise again that Israel was to be a light to the nations, and we have that throughout the prophets. You're you're called to be a light to the nations, they were told over and over again. Now, on this side of the cross, the church is commissioned to be the light to the nations. Having been given the Holy Spirit, we are anointed for the mission to give testimony to the redemption that is Christ. But when Jesus says before he ascended to heaven, he's reminding them, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, he says, Acts 1, eight but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are his witnesses. You know, the, the original... The Greek word for witness is where we get the word martyr from. So the witness component is you give your life for this. You give your life, but it's the Spirit's power that's working in you. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So how do we respond to this? We ask the spirit we recognize where we have depended too much on ourselves and we ask for and ask for the filling of the spirit which is promised ephesians five eighteen: do not be dr- get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit the, the verbiage there is continual ever filling and here's the promise from jesus in luke 11 If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus is connecting. The greatest need you have in your life right now, children, is the Holy Spirit. It's His power. It's His glory. Lord, we ask that in this moment we would be more aware of Your grace to us rather than our failures, how the enemy wants to come and remind us Uh, of how often we need the grace to understand how we have been walking by might and by power in ourselves. But Lord, we also need the grace, the sustaining power of God Mm. to ungrip, loosen our grip on our lives and come to you with open hands and say, God, I want it to be by your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, fill us. Father, give us your spirit that the little small things in our lives would be anointed they would matter and they'd matter for all eternity when we experience your fruitfulness God we thank you